welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. All right, everybody, high five the person next to you and say, I'm so glad you're here. A lot of high-fiving going on. I like it. I like it. Oh, yeah, air high-five. Thank you, Paula. Thinking about me. Hey, uh, so if we haven't had the opportunity of meeting, my name is Chad. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary. And I just want you to know Calvary is a church of imperfect people who serve a perfect God. And I want to prove it to you, actually, just by way of confession. We started the service out today. Of course, the room's full, excited about that, excited about what God's doing, and just kind of eager for all those things. But just to prove you the, uh, the imperfections in the house, I'll just tell you what I did. So the service started. I'm sitting in my seat, and the first song's going on. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm in it. Brian gets up, and I look over, and I'm like, I don't have my Bible. Like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal when a preacher doesn't have his Bible because he just goes long, long, long if he doesn't have his Bible. Be thankful. But I'm sitting here, I'm like, I don't have my Bible, which is actually a rational fear, I think, of every preacher that he would, like, the service had started, be like, hey, ready to go, and where's the Bible? But, hey, praise God, I have it now, and we're good to go. Amen? Hey, so I want to just kind of let you know we're... We're closing up a series and a collection of sermons called Together. And what we've been doing is we've been just walking through verse by verse through this, this ancient letter from a guy. Uh, it, it was written by a guy by the name of Paul to this church, a group of people who had given their lives over to Jesus. And as Paul has written this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's given them all sorts of instructions. He's reminded them who they are in Christ. And now we're in the, the section of that letter where he's trying to help people to understand how do we get along as brothers and sisters? How do we get along as husbands and wives? How do we get along as, as, as fathers and mothers and children? And what does that dynamic look like? And how does the gospel change those relationships? And how do we live together? So part of this that you're going to hear today is just a continuation of talks, but it's just a fresh message as well. But just so you know, if like you feel like you're coming into the movie a little bit late, it's okay. You can catch up online later if you want to, but you're going to find something here that's helpful. I'm a football fan. Any football fans in the house? Anyone? All right. I'm a football fan, and one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years, I'm old enough to remember when they didn't have these for catching the ball. Do you remember these? Do you, you, you remember when they didn't have these? Remember back in the 70s when they used to use this thing called stick'em that became outlawed? I do. It's true. Look it up. Google's your friend. But now they use gloves to catch balls and, and, uh, and to do. So I want to illustrate this. And I've got my, my number one quarterback, me being the wide receiver here. I'm not tall enough to be a wide receiver. My wife is going to throw it. I'm going to illustrate this point. I'm just saying everything rides on this pass. Everything. No pressure, babe. It's all you. You got it. Piece of cake. Look at that. Yeah. My lady can throw a football. I like that. That's awesome. The thing is, like, I don't know if this is cheating or not. I kind of go back and forth. I've actually played some football at the church that, that I used to pastor in Georgia. We used to have this gathering every year called the DBC Bowl. And I, when, I remember not having these gloves. And then when I got the gloves, these actual gloves, I just thought, man, it is, like, so easy to catch a football. I could never have done this any other time. And it's like, I would love to do it with one finger, but that would be impossible for me. It's like, I don't know if this is cheating, but I can definitely tell you that wearing these gloves is easier. 
It's easier to catch a ball. Anybody want to? Anybody in the back row want to catch one real quick? Anyone? We got one. We got a volunteer. Uh, I'd be embarrassed because I probably wouldn't get it to you, so I can't. Sorry. I don't know if it's cheating, but I can tell you that it's easier. Sometimes in life, she can also catch. Sometimes in life, we think that in parenting, we think that, you know, the stage that we're in is the, is the most difficult stage, and then we think the next stage is going to get easier. And sometimes when we have little kids, little, little bitty knee knockers, and we think, man, if we have these, here you go, catch, look at that. I intentionally did that. Sometimes we have the, the little, the little uh, even before they're knee knockers, even when they're little babies, we just think, my, my goodness, it would just be easier if they would start sleeping through the night. Amen. We love for the kids to sleep through the night. And we think, I just can't wait for them to get out of diapers. And it's like, then you don't have to go through all that mess, and they take care of some of that themselves. And then we think, well, oh, finally, if they actually go to school, then we'll get a reprieve, and, and we'll kind of share the load there. And if, you, if you, you know, you're teaching at home, then I don't even know what that world's like, but I, it just never goes away, I guess. But it's like you have to figure that out. But then we think, okay, well, once they get a little bit older and they can actually do homework on their own, then it just becomes easier. And then we think, well, now they can do homework by themselves, then now it's just become a little bit easier. And then they hit that middle school time. And then they lose their mind, which means you lose your mind. And it happens to all of us. And we think, well, if I can just get through middle school, if I can just help my, my, my student, my, my child get through middle school, then, then they get into high school and then everything's going to kind of, they're going to grow up and I'm going to mellow out and everything's going to be okay. But then not only are you're not bandaging like little scrapes and you're not changing diapers, then you're trying to mend broken hearts. And one of the misconceptions that I have found of us, Marla and I, of raising two kids and now we have two amazing grandkids and trying to navigate all that complexity. But one of the things that I found is it actually doesn't just, it doesn't get easier, it just gets different. It, it doesn't get easier and I'm not trying to be negative or in, to be like, I'm just waiting for this stage to end. I want you to get some sleep too. I do. But at the end of the day, it doesn't get, it, it, it just gets different. It doesn't necessarily get easier. The challenges become something else. I tell you all this, not to discourage you, but I tell you all of this, is that, that if you try to do all of this by yourself, if you try to navigate all the, all the complexities of, of parenting and grandparenting all by yourself, you're actually working from a deficit. But if you trust God, and if you apply the principles of the Bible to help navigate your grandparenting and your parenting, it will get easier. Because it's not just you doing it by yourself, it's you doing it with God's help. And when God, when God helps, when God gives you the strength you need and the patience you need and just the pleasantries that you need and amen the sleep you need, when all these things happen, it does get easier even though the complexities and challenges change. The Apostle Paul is, is going to talk about this today. And as he is giving this bit of instruction, I want you to know the, the cultural analysis as to what he's speaking into. Because in the Roman world, the, the Greco-Roman informed world, the Jewish world, all of these things that Paul would have written into they had a very low value of children, actually. As a matter of fact, there was this, the, the father had 
ultimate power over everyone under their authority, every family member forever, even adult kids. And so much so that the the Roman father specifically could choose, as soon as the child is born, they could choose to accept the child or to deny and to basically cast a child into, uh, into a public place, into a Roman public place, and allow somebody else to get the child if they want or allow the child to die. That was absolutely acceptable in that culture. It was acceptable that, that the, the husband, the man, the, the whatever terminology you want to use, would be able to dominate and control his family and to tell all, even his adult kids exactly what to do, and they had to do it. This becomes the backdrop by which the Apostle Paul writes this letter and gets into this practical instruction. And we'll start in Ephesians 6, and we'll go through verse 4. But this is where he begins, and he makes this transition of not just talking about husbands and wives and how to navigate that complexity, but then he, he doesn't necessarily change the channel. He just flips the page, if you will, and now he starts talking about Children and the way that children are to regard their parents and also parents, fathers, fathers and mothers, uh, for them to treat their children. Verse 1, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, some translations say fathers and mothers, Do not exasperate your children. Do not anger your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So could you imagine the original audience of this letter receiving this, hoping maybe to say that that God in his inspired word would just tell Paul to tell the people, hey, just do your own thing, live your own life, disregard your parents, your dad's mean, don't even trust your dad, cast away your family, be your own person, be independent, be self-sufficient, it's all about you. I mean, that's probably what they wanted to hear because that was the knee-jerk reaction to what was going on in Rome at the time. And under the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit speaking these words and receiving, now then receiving this message from the mouth of God, then he goes through and and Paul has the audacity to say, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. Notice in verse 3, here's the promise. This the Apostle Paul is borrowing from Exodus 20, verse 12, and Deuteronomy 5, 16. He's putting them together. And he says in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So, these, these commands are commands with a promise. I'm going to break this talk up into three different uh, sections, if you will. And the first section is going to be um, jumping right into Ephesians 6, 1. Ephesians 6.1, and this is what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your children. Is that right? Oh, thank you. But isn't that what's happening in the world? Parents, obey your children. Do what they want. Do it when they want. And if they don't want to do it, then... It's your job to figure out what they want and then give them whatever they want. Isn't that what's going on in the world today? 
And yet, when you look at the Bible, it is countercultural to what we see in our day, just as it was countercultural to what was going on in the day that it was originally written. Back to verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, if all, all of you parents, you're like, you're, of course, you're like, yes, children, obey your parents, like nudging your kids. That's me, listen up, right? There are limitations, we'll get to that. What I found with raising kids, it's kind of like holding a wet bar of soap. It's kind of like holding a wet bar of soap. I need some help with some water here. I'm going to make a mess. It's all right, I'll clean it up, right? Now, now we're good and lathered up. Hopefully that doesn't spill. But raising kids is like holding a wet bar of soap because if you squeeze it too tight, I'll get that carried, no worries. If you squeeze it too tight, it goes away, right? Let me try with the other hand, see if it's true with this hand. Yep, oh, it's true with that hand too. So if you squeeze your child too tight, the very thing that you love the most is just going to do what? If you try and control them and manipulate them, they're just going to go away from you they're, and and they're not going to do the thing that's best for them and honestly what you want for them. But yet, if you just hold them so loosely, like if you just do that, you just hold them so loosely, not only are you showing that you actually don't care for them, but you're doing for them what they want. Excuse me, I'm invading your personal space here. But if you hold them just too, too loosely, then it seems like, oh, I just love them, I love them, I love them. I'm just going to give them whatever they want. Oh, no, now I need to figure out what else they want. And parenting is kind of like it's the, it's the comfortable middle of like not squeezing too tight because if you squeeze too tight, you don't give them a chance to grow. You don't give them a chance to mature. If you hold them too loose, they're not going to mature and grow either because maybe the person that they turn into is not the person you want them to turn into. So we have to be in between. We have to... Uh, to know balance. We have to know not to live in the extremes. We have to know that uh, ultimately what Paul said in verse 4 is what we're supposed to do. Fathers, do not exasperate. Do not anger your children, but do what? What's the opposite that he's getting at? But instead, bring them up in what? Look at your Bible. Verse 4, you tell me. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Verse 4. You see, when we do these things, we help them to become the the people that they're supposed to become, and we don't try to manufacture their path for them. We simply put them in God's hands as we're in God's hands, and when we do these things under the, the sovereignty and control of the Holy Spirit, being guided by God, then ultimately, sure, they're sinners like you're sinners, but their path is going to be more straight, and it's going to have less obstacles If you do so, because you're teaching them to trust God. The Apostle Paul has already laid a foundation here for the type of people that that he's talking to. In Ephesians 1.13, he said this, talking about the church in Ephesus, also true if you're a Christian today. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked with him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He continues in verse 17. I keep asking that the the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
At the beginning of, of chapter 2, look there if you will. We're going to look at a, a few verses and just at the beginning of chapter 2, Ephesians. Chapter 2, Ephesians. Apostle Paul has already explained to them who you were before you met Christ and now who you are after you're in as for you, you were past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed. Meaning, all of us Christians have also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, great love, but because of his great love. of his grace in his kindness expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. With these next two and I'll end with these next two verses. For it is by grace that you've been saved. This is not through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift for God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Apostle Paul has And not just by how they perform, but just as, the, as a person and just bless them, encourage them. Man, if we could change a generation, if we would just, if we would stop being negative to that generation and choose to encourage and bless them. There's an example from history, an 18th century artist by the name of Benjamin West. He tells a story about how he became a painter. He says, one day... That his mother left, and his mother left him in charge of his of his little sister, and didn't know how long she was going to be gone. So he's just sitting there, and he's young, and she's younger, obviously. And Benjamin West he, he tells this story that after mom leaves, and they're sitting there, and and there was some some paint around, and I don't know whose paint it was, but it wasn't his paint, and there was some ink and things around. And he just picked up a paintbrush, and he starts he starts painting a portrait of his little sister. 
And in the process, you can imagine a kid dabbling with paint, something they're not used to, and kids just tend to be messy, obviously. And Benjamin West, he makes a mess of it, and he paints this portrait of his sister, and mom comes back, and she sees the little specks of ink all over the place, and she sees the mess all over the, the floor and the table and all the things. And his mother, in that moment, shaped his destiny by saying this. As she looked at, closely at the piece of paper, really narrowing in on it, and she just really looked at the drawing, and she says, Why? That's Sally. And then she stopped down and kissed him on his cheek. You see, in that moment, that would have been a perfect scenario for her to snuff out his dream. That would have been a perfect scenario to say, Benjamin, I can't believe you made a mess. You got ink all over the place. Get in here right now and clean this up. And that could have shaped his whole destiny instead of encouraging the, the gift that God had placed in him to be a painter. That could have shifted his, direct, his, his whole trajectory if she would have chastised and rebuked him, but yet she encouraged him, and he became a renowned painter. I wonder how much potential is in our teenagers and our kids today if we would simply encourage the things that they're good at, that honor God and bring good into the world, if we would simply make it a a point of fact to encourage them to do that and to do the right thing rather than just seeking to chastise them when they do the wrong thing. You see, I believe this too. We inspire obedience in our children by actively encouraging them. We inspire obedience when we encourage them. I mean, it's just a matter of human nature, is it not? When somebody says something affirming about you, you want to try and honor and please them because they've just done the same thing to you. Again, we all do this. And we, we as, as people, we can inspire obedience in our children by actively encouraging them. You see, if we're going to raise our kids, I think getting back to the passage, verse 1 and 2, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. You see, it's honoring your parents in the Lord. That means under the spiritual authority of Jesus. That's what that means. That means as, as parents, we, are, we ourselves, if you're, if you're a Christian, that means that you are to be parenting and grandparenting under the authority of Jesus, which is what Paul is getting at when he says, in the Lord. So that we too are under submission to God. We're seeking the right pathway, the right words to say, We're allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge our heart so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to change our child's heart. And yet, if I'm honest, generationally, things are different, are they not? I mean, playgrounds, for instance. When I grew up, all of our playgrounds were metal. They were. They were just metal. And they were metal and we didn't have any shredded tires like we do out at the North property. There was none of that. They weren't trying to measure those for the school to make it right. It's like they would put like a metal jungle gym and they would put it over like concrete and be like, go play kids, you know. Or they would put it over hard packed dirt, which felt like concrete if you fell from the monkey bars. Not to even mention the metal slides. They were a treat, weren't they? Don't you dare hit your bare skin on those slides. 
It's probably still on the slide right now, actually. <laughs> and, and like, we had a child break her arm on the merry-go-round. I, are we raising Spartans? What are we doing? I don't even know. Well, you know what the merry-go-round is, right? It's the thing that you, like, you, you teach a kid to hold on to. Basically, all you're teaching the kid is grip strength because if their grip strength falls, they get chucked off there. And we had a daughter like break her arm off a merry-go-round. I feel bad about that a little bit, a little bit. I mean, she was having fun. I mean, I don't know. But like we do, we have learned some things along the way, right? We have learned that, that we're not like raising Navy SEALs. We're raising children, right? We're not raising Spartans. This isn't like another rendition of 300 and like my little, my little camper here, he's going to be at the front of the line, right? We're not like trying to build a phalanx here with our children, Instead, we've, we've learned some things in, in the learning of our, in, in, in some adapting and learning of things that I think probably needed to change, make things a little softer. I think that what we've done is we've actually made it too soft. And it's become something like I hinted at a minute ago. One of the cultural sayings, there's two cultural sayings. Here's a cultural saying that I hinted to a minute ago. Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace to the home. A, it's not going to bring peace to your home. But, like, that's, that's what's happening in our world right now. There's a lot of that, that belief, a lot of that practice. There's a lot of people who, who tell you you need to do that. And then there's an opposite extreme, too. And the opposite extreme is this. Parents, control your children, for this will make you happy and make your life easy. And again, we're not to be controlling our kids. Our kids have hearts and desires, and we need to, to direct, just as is what Proverbs 22, 6 says, we need to direct our children onto the right path, and when they were older, they won't leave it. We need to direct them, what's the path that God has for you? Well, how does your giftedness align with that? How do your talents align with that? What is God saying to you right now? How can I help you and work with God to shape your character so you can become the person that you want to be thinking 40 years down the line? Not just thinking about today, not just thinking about what will make our lives easier. There's a lot of talk about the end times, and we've done some Last year, we talked about the end times, and we had some challenging conversations in life groups and, and in preaching and different things and wrestled with some really hard truths. But I do want to share this, again, not to, not to scare you, but to inform you. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Intentional pause. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So the day and age we live in, it's hard to kind of look beyond that and say, I don't know, I think we might be camping out right there, right now, by just observing what's going on in our world. Which is why we need the timeless word of God. The word obey is, is mentioned of children, and the word 
The word obey, to obey generally means to do as one is told. It's not real deep, very practical, not very philosophical, not very theological. It's just, hey, if, if we've asked someone to do something, we're asking them to obey. We're asking them to do what they were told. It, so it involves action, but it also involves attitude. I'm not going to tell you which one of my kids, but one of my kids was very easy to comply with whatever Marlon and I said, would just do it, would just like naturally feel bad and then just do the thing. But then we had another child that if you, if you ask this child to do something, their feet automatically sunk into, into cement and they were immovable. And it's like, we just go clean your room. Oh, just couldn't. Like, not, obedience was like, no, nah, I don't think so. We might get around to it eventually. I don't know. And then a lot of coaxing and a lot more coaxing, a lot of patience, a lot of Holy Spirit. And then, and then eventually that child actually complied. But what was built into the word obey was, was an action and an attitude. And we saw that. We saw that, hey, could you go do this? <laughs> but the attitude said, uh-uh, ain't doing it. I'm going to do it on my timetable. Trying to be nice to my kids just in case they listen. They might. Get a little deeper into this. Children are not to disobey God to obey their parents, though. They're not to disobey God to obey their parents, The highest authority to be submitted to is God and not parents. So this could be challenging for some parents who who try to micromanage, try to snowplow parent, try and helicopter parent, like to remove their child from any obstacle. The children are not to disobey God to obey their parents. Along with that, adult children are not told to be subservient to controlling parents. You can honor them, but that doesn't mean that you do everything that they have, everything that they say. Because what the Bible talks about also in three different references in the scriptures, once in Genesis, once in Matthew 19, and once that we've already covered in Ephesians 5, is this, this, these words, leave and cleave, that you will leave father and mother and you will cleave unto your wife, you'll cleave unto your husband, and the two will become one flesh. When, uh, when an adult, a child becomes an adult and they get married, they form their own family. Their mother and father becomes extended family. That means they don't have to do everything that mom and dad say automatically. They may do those things, but what that means is they have their own family. And if they have their own family, that means... They, under the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit directing, hopefully, they get to make decisions for their family as to what they're going to do and the vacations they're going to take and how they're going to spend their holidays. And that isn't for mom and dad, who are now extended family, to go in and to dabble into their parents, or excuse me, into their kids' marriage because they have to see themselves also as extended family. So that automatically creates a boundary connecting to last week. It automatically connects a boundary that it's a new family and now extended family. That way you can allow your kids to thrive. And that way you as 
mom and dad, first set of parents, you guys can thrive without trying to control and manipulate your kids. But adult children are not told to be subservient to controlling parents. Verse 2 and 3 from the original passage, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. To honor means to respect and love. It means to respect and love. This also involves an attitude. We're not really a culture that honors well. Unfortunately, and and this grieves me, but there are certain people within our, our culture who are just marginalized and they're treated as if they actually have no value in the culture anymore. And I'm not going to get into the specifics as to where I see that, but it just happens a lot. We, so we ourselves are not an honoring culture like what, we'd, what you could see in other parts of the world or even what we would see in the New Testament. We need to become people who show that love and that respect not only within the home but also outside the home. Not only with people who look like us but people who don't look like us. Not only people who, who, who dress like us, but also people who don't dress like us. People who, who are in our socioeconomic status and also people outside of our socioeconomic status. We just need to be a people of honor. It starts in the home. It starts in the home. It starts with honoring father and mother. Once that's created as a baseline within the home, then... That child learns to honor and love and respect people outside of the home. In, in the way that we do it, also, uh, it models our relationship with God. Honor unleashes blessings. Exodus twenty verse twelve: Honor your father and mother, so that it may, so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you. It comes with a blessing. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So you see, there's two different pathways, ultimately. We can either exasperate, which means anger. We can anger our children as fathers and mothers by trying to control them, manipulate them, allowing them to make all decisions without any sort of guidance. Or what we can do is we can keep the truth in front of them. We can model what it looks like to walk in the Spirit in front of them. We can, with words, we can tell them, when we failed our own kids, we can tell them we're sorry. So they can learn by us modeling, wow, dad said I'm sorry. Dad messed up. Dad recognized that he messed up. And that he said he's sorry. That's going to make it easier for your kid to do the same thing. And automatically you're working with God by by an act of confession. You're actually working with God and the Holy Spirit in through you and through them if they're in Christ to actually shape their character. This is part of spirit-filled parenting. Not to be your child's counselor, not to be your child's therapist, not to be anything else but to just walk alongside them being their parent, being their spokesperson, loving them, caring for them, teaching them, and bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord. There's a lot of bad biblical examples of this, a lot of bad biblical examples. 
And I, wanna, I just want to help you to avoid all these extremes. Which is why we, we painstakingly pour into our kids' ministry here. Which is why we, we invest thousands of dollars into our kids' ministry here and our student ministry here. Which is why we have teams built to help and give that instruction to your kids. Which is why we view ourselves as simply partners with you on your journey of helping your, your child, your teenager, your middle schooler to navigate life. We're just partnering with you. We're not your replacement. We're just walking alongside you to help you. Why do we do it? Because we value the next generation. Why are we starting up Team Kid? It's not because we needed something else on the church schedule. We're starting up Team Kid because we're looking at what what the kids these days are facing, and we're burdened with what the kids are facing, not what the kids are doing, but what they're facing because of what adults are imposing on them. And we want them to know that there's a better way, the the only true way to, to be free, to live a life that honors God and brings good into the world. Trying to help them to, to love God with passion and love people on purpose. So that's why we're doing Team Kid. That's why we do kids' ministry and student ministry. It isn't to occupy time. It isn't to pacify and make people happy. It's to work with you to help shape your kids, your teenagers' character under the authority of God in His Word. Are we going to get this right all the time? No way. We're going to need so much grace, just like you need grace. We try and figure it out. Every generation is a little bit different, and we navigate and try and figure out how to minister to them. We're doing the same thing right now. But what we ask of you is this. Partner with us in the journey. Partner by placing your kids in the kids' ministry, in student ministry. Get involved in training and instruction of the Lord, not only that we offer, but also just opening your Bible and reading them simple Bible stories and praying with them. You doing that. You see, they expect us to do it. They expect people, when they come to church, they expect us to do all those things. But as parents, you can set so much of a a greater example by doing these things at home. Would you stand?